0: Hello and welcome to the Bike or Death podcast. My name is Patrick and I'm your host. And this is the podcast that talks about bikepacking, adventuring, and the cool people that make up the sport. Uh, today I was fortunate enough to sit down with Indiana jo- uh <laughs> Indiana Jones, Indiana Schultz, uh, here in my uh, kitchen actually, in my dining room. Um, he's back to do the Grand Gravel 500 um and that actually kicks off tomorrow um at least when we're recording it it'll probably come out here in about a week but last year um he showed up in a pink tutu and a mohawk and full tats and i didn't know indy um but i was definitely like he piqued my curiosity and uh, he wound up winning winning the race and setting a course record Um, but beyond that man he's he's honestly a really genuine person he's very thoughtful um, he's passionate about life, passionate about riding bikes, and uh, really, really enjoyed talking to him. I've I've enjoyed getting to know him a little bit on a personal personal level too. Super good dude. So, without further ado, let's get to it. All right, man. So today I'm sitting down with Indy Schultz, if that is your real name. It is not. Yeah. So, <laughs> what, Indy, Indiana? Last year at the 500, you were Squirrely Indy? Uh, Sparkle On Indy. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that was just
1: a, a shout out for my friend Amanda, who had passed away from cancer. Oh, so, sorry about yeah. that. Yeah. No, it's okay. Sparkle On, it's, you know, I smile when I think of her, and oh, nice. she loved glitter and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, the Gravel Grand is something. It's uh it's a fun race, so I try not to take myself too seriously.
0: Yeah, yeah. What about uh, Jerry Smith?
1: Who's who's that? Jerry Jerry Smith is from a cartoon, Rick and Morty, and same thing. I'm just out here to have fun. You know, I'm not trying to set records or anything. And yeah, it's. I think people laugh when they see it.
0: You say you're not out here to set records, but I think you have the record at Grand Gravel, don't you? I do, yeah. I did yeah. I did accomplish that last year. I guess to back up just a little bit, um, Indy's here today, um, actually in my house. He's my first guest <laughs> in my uh, dining room, so this is pretty cool. Uh, thanks for coming over. But, um, Thank you. He's he's back last year. He did the Grand Gravel 500 and uh, won it. And we're going to get into that a little bit more later, but um, yeah, he came back and he was generous enough to uh, have a conversation with me. So last year I got to race against him kind of, and this year I'll, I'll just talk to him. Um, <clears throat> before we get into the bikes, one thing that I really admire about you is you, I think you spend like vacation time to go pick up trash or you go on bike well, rides and you pick up trash. Yeah. And that's something that Uh, full disclosure, every time I go camping, I'm like, damn it. I wish I brought, I wish I brought a bag, an extra trash bag to carry out some trash with me, you Mm -hmm. know? And if everybody did that, I think, you know, you leave it a little bit nicer than you found it. And, uh, I always forget. So I'm kind of a jackass like that, but, um, it's something I really respect. So I was kind of curious if you, I don't know, tell your motivation behind that or talk about that. Yeah. I
1: I think I've (laughs) always been motivated to well, I've always been inspired by my surroundings. I should, I should say that, you know, in the in the beautiful places that we have in America and across the world. And unfortunately, it's becoming more and more prevalent where you go to a beautiful place and there's plastic bottles, there's a lot of man-made trash around. And that's really been impactful in my life, all of these journeys that I've been on. So at one point in time, I think I just said, Even if it's a piece of trash here or a piece of trash there, let's start picking stuff up. So I remember I went down to Havasu Falls, which is at the end of the Grand Canyon. And you're hiking down into the Grand Canyon. First time I'd ever been to the Grand Canyon. And I was in disbelief, the amount of trash on the trails. And that's a Native American-run reservation. And a lot of the Natives were not the friendliest. And after I had hiked down there, that 12 mile hike into the valley where Havasu falls is, I completely understood. I feel like we're people and it's not necessarily white people. It's whoever goes there to visit, but somebody that's going into their, their natural land and then leaving trash and and not picking it up. That's, I think I would be a little upset if I was them too. Yeah. It's but,
0: disrespectful on a lot of levels. Yeah.
1: And it's, it's everywhere around us. And, and once you, become aware to the levels of trash it's hard to to turn
0: a blind eye yeah well good on you for doing that i know like you said i mean whenever you're out there riding your bike you're moving at a slower place and you're seeing all the trash and it's it's Mm -hmm. everywhere Mm -hmm. my wife and i we went to uh, colorado and did a a bikepacking trip this past summer and we were up at eleven thousand feet in like the back country of colorado yeah and i went off the trail just a little bit and it was just littered. I mean, so much trash. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I was really blown away.
1: It really is. Yeah, it really is unbelievable. You think that the type of people that made the effort to get up to a remote spot where you were at yeah. are very conscious of pack it in, pack it out. Yeah. And you realize it's everybody gets lazy at some point in time. So, yeah. you know, I live on the banks of the Mississippi River in the Quad Cities and the water's level the water levels rise and they fall quite a bit and that's where i picked up a lot of my trash um yeah you're taking
0: huge heaps yeah
1: i'm taking five gallon buckets at a time and i can fill up a five gallon bucket in a matter of minutes sure and it's it's sad you know i think I'm, i'm what i'm doing i'm trying to do is keep the trash from flowing down river keep it out of our ecosystem but what i'm doing is really transferring that trash to another trash can which is going to a landfill Obviously, the solution is to reduce and reuse in the first place and educate people about trash and and start to, I think, from an environmental perspective, our corporations need to become more more environmentally friendly and conscious and start using packaging that's not made of styrofoam, not made of plastic, that's biodegradable. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think I'm making a difference and people have said I've inspired them along the way, but... You know, it, it, it's, that's one of the, the beefs I have with bikepacking, actually, which we'll get to, is I go to a gas station and I buy 15 single serving things that are all wrapped in plastic. Yeah. And while I don't throw them on the trail, I'm still part of the problem. Right. So at home, I've actually, I'm trying to go to zero plastic waste. And I was inspired by my cousin, who's uh, Joldine Stockdale. And he travels around the world and he makes sculptures and For example, I helped him in Thailand. We made sculptures from reclaimed materials and we made two 18 foot tall water buffaloes for this thing called the, for this festival called the Wonder Fruit uh, Art and Music Festival. And since then, he's really gotten into the environmental side of things and he was commissioned by the, um, something Bay, uh, Monterey. Monterey Bay. Yeah. So anyways, my cousin, Joel, uh, Dean Stockdale was commissioned by the Monterey Bay fish and wildlife association to make a sculpture out of reclaimed plastic. So, uh, him and his partner, Hastina came up with this idea to make a life size, 80 foot blue well out of recycled plastic. Wow. And it took them over six months and there's a few really good videos about their process. And basically they had this warehouse and they sorted all the plastic by color. They washed all the plastic. They made these homemade shredders. They shredded the plastic and then they put them into these molds into an oven and then they pressed them into these panels that were maybe a foot by a foot wide, thousands upon thousands of these panels. And then they set this blue whale up in a park in San Francisco and it's been there on display for two months and it is beautiful the colors are amazing and it's actually saw
0: a picture of it it is incredible yeah it went
1: viral for a while and it's it's just a raising awareness about plastic and i believe and i and i I might be misquoted on this but the amount of plastic the weight of that blue whale is what gets dumped into the ocean every five minutes wow it's sad and that's just alarming it's scary you know what's going to
0: happen yeah i don't yeah. know i mean i know you're kind of questioning how much impact that you're having sure but you're doing what you can and i sure. think that, you know and, and and the ripple effect of what you're doing and inspiring other people and setting that example whether it's through art installations or just going mm-hmm. and picking up trash i mean those things do matter i mm-hmm. think and you're right it, it probably has to happen at a corporate level i know that there yeah uh, have you seen those um the packaging that's made out of like I don't even remember what it is, but it, it's a biodegradable, uh, packaging that hmm. you can eat. So like water comes in this little bubble and you can put it in your mouth and just eat it. No, seen these? no, yeah. I haven't seen that. I can't remember what it, it sounds like promising. Some like jellyfish by, I can't remember. Uh, okay. I'm, don't get me the lion, but, um, there, there's stuff like that. I saw a spoon that you can eat. So you eat your food and it's made out of like rice or something, mm-hmm. and then you can eat the spoon when you're done. So I think um, we we really do need some bigger companies to like step up and and solve the problem but yeah. you know and I think the awareness is out
1: there you know thankfully yeah. f- to the internet thankful for the internet and everything being exposed now we should we are we able to put the pressure on those corporations and tell them this is what we want as consumers you know right. let's move to an environmentally ecologically friend friendly packaging so we'll see what happens i'm
0: reading a book right now that actually jared foster recommended to me um called last child in the woods have you heard of that one Mm -hmm. or read it but it it talks about how You know when you and i were growing up i don't know exactly how old are you i'm 35 okay i'm 39 so okay. we're, we're the same generation i think mm-hmm. and uh when we were growing up we spent all of our time outside mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but nowadays but, but to step back we spent all, all of our time outside but we weren't as aware of like the environmental impact of trash and recycling and all you know the information just wasn't out there sure. but nowadays kids it's kind of the reverse they don't spend as much time outside but i can tell you my nine-year-old daughter you know she came to me the other day and she's like, we should, uh, we shouldn't drive as much, you know, because that's polluting. Right? Really? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> there's, there's a new development, a real estate development going in and we were discussing it as a family. And she said, man, they're just destroying the habitat for all those animals. This awesome. is, a, this is a nine year old, right? That's, that's very cool to hear. And my daughter is spending time outside. We make sure that's a priority, but, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's interesting that we, li- we live in an interesting world where, we're so aware of all these things, but people aren't taking advantage of, um, you know, the the outdoors. Yeah, thing. yeah, I
1: understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah they're, they're not necessarily out there as yeah. much enjoying them, but they're but that, aware of the issues that are happening. Well,
0: and it's part of the reason why I like doing a podcast and talking to people who are because. I think for a lot of us bikes are just a mechanism to get outside Mm -hmm. you know it allows us to go do see and be in 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 nature be outside um and so you know it's part of the reason why i wanted to start a podcast and talk to people like you and um and spread the good word and get people outside and doing things yeah and combine that with you know the passion for the environment and the knowledge that we have Mm
2: -hmm. hopefully good
0: things will happen you know yeah, so it's just yeah. my, my little drop in the water. It's like you, I mean, you know, it might, you never know the long-term impact of someone watching you pick up a bunch of trash or do that orange art, art installation or whatever it is. You yeah. Know I mean, yeah. You just Yeah. From you,
1: his art installation, I've, I've started to save all of my plastic, my yeah. single use plastic that is non-recyclable and I have a box of it already, which is scary, but that makes me realize how much plastic I'm using. So I'm trying to buy products that are less plastic. Yeah, and then eventually, when I have enough, I'm gonna call Joel, and say, "How do I make a mold? How do I turn this into something that is usable?" And then I'll feel a lot better about it. But cool. the, you know, like I said, the the problem is not reusing it all the time. That helps, but being aware of what we're doing and yeah, having a podcast where you can branch that in different people's voices is really great. Yeah, yeah. try it, man. That that person you had on last week, the one you're going to. Uh, oh, Jared Big Foster. Bend, yeah. yeah really good stuff. I love yeah. what he's doing. He,
0: Yeah, he's doing some really neat things. He's mm-hmm. a, a conservation and travel photographer. And so he's again, you know, trying to spread the message in his way through photography and telling stories like that. Mm-hmm. And he's also literally educating, educating the next generation. I mean, he's a professor at Texas Tech University. So we're going out, um, in a couple of weeks from now, which is why I'm not doing the 500. I made a decision, you know, I have Ooh. to, <laughs> you know, I got to work and pay the bills. Unfortunately, yeah, of course we got to pick, uh, pick and choose our battles, we do, we do. And so I, you know, I thought it was a great opportunity to, to go and man, Absolutely. just, I want to see, you know, a bunch of college kids, like getting thrown into Big Ben ranch state park for seven days and going bike packing for the first time and really getting into nature and like seeing them disconnect from their cell phones and mm-hmm. whatever it is, you know, and just really be in nature. And, um, I think it's going to be cool to be like a voyeur to that Experience and and watch them go through that. So yeah, but so let's talk about bikes. Sure. Um, <laughs> tell so one thing I'm always curious about is how people like balance, you know, work and training, and then getting the time off for um for for doing these events that you do. So yeah, what's your what's your home life like to be able to do this?
1: Um, well,
0: for a while I've been doing carpentry.
1: So I've been able to make my own schedule. I've been doing a lot of, um, oh, cool. remodeling for friends' houses. So light electrical, painting, framing, building decks, things of that nature. So it's been good because I've been able to pick up and, and leave projects at certain times. If I have to go do a race or I have to go do some training, but, like, sorry, um, your
0: bathroom's not done. I'm yeah. I go. <laughs> yeah.
1: But what I found was what was happening is I was doing a lot of work for friends and I'm, I have a very hard time charging people what my time is worth Yeah, because all my friends have done something for me in the past. So I did pick up a few, you know, part-time jobs from temporary job placement things, you know, so, you know, light construction, restaurant jobs, things of that nature. And just recently I started a new job uh, at a restaurant called Rome in Davenport, which my friend Dylan Style opened. And he's been really awesome with my schedule. I told him Before he hired me, I was going to do the ATR in June again. And he said, that's great. Like their motto is live, ride, roam. He said, we fully support you. So you've always got a job here. And I was awesome. I was pretty stoked about that. So what do you do there? uh, I'm just a server right now. I've also done some bar backing, but I worked in Vail, Colorado for eight years at a restaurant. So I've managed restaurants. I've bus tables. I've been a host. I've worked in kitchens. Yeah. Very familiar with the restaurant industry. But I needed some time off, so I took the last you know four or five years off and did the carpentry thing, and now I'm kind of leaning back in towards the restaurants. Cool. So it's very. The thing about the restaurants is their schedule is always very flexible. So, yeah,
0: yeah, makes sense. Yeah, and people are always trying to eat something, so they always yeah. need someone to serve them their food.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I'm and I'm good, and, and I'm always smiling. It was funny. I, I keep coming in there, and people ask me why I'm so happy. And I just, I'm thinking well, I'm at work, <laughs> I'm getting paid, you know, to interact with my customers. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. And That's normally, funny. normally, you know, I've, I've done a little workout during the day or maybe, maybe some yoga meditation. Maybe I went for a bike ride, but you know, I've realized after the, after the last five years, um, in the last five years, my exercise level has gone up quite a bit. Uh, I've been more conscious of my diet and that's definitely affected my happiness. So yeah. maybe five years ago when I worked in my old restaurant, I wasn't quite as happy not all to right. say I was grumpy or anything, but uh, it has, I think all impact. of that plays uh, an important factor. Is, Absolutely. is getting out in the sunshine and, and doing the yoga and meditation and, and all of that good stuff. And, and balancing it is, it's quite a, it's quite an act sometimes, uh, with the new restaurant, I'm working long hours, sometimes 10 or 12 hours. So I'm, I would say I'm uh, in terms of where I'm at in shape bicycle-wise, I'm at about 60% of where I was at last year. Hmm. So I'm trying not to push myself too hard this year. But
0: What does training look like for you, though?
1: Yeah, um, so I have a really good friend. His name is Nathan Tackett, and he's been doing triathlons and Ironmans and things of those nature. And so he's basically has his uh, personal training certification. And when I got into... Bike packing. I was hanging out with my friend uh, Michael Kenny, and he's actually out here this year for the race. So, Michael Kenny was uh, pacing me for the Leadville 100 Trail Run, which was the last part of the Leadman Series in 2016. And apparently, I looked at him. At mile seventy, and I said, "I'm going to do the Tour Divide with you next year." <laughs> and he goes, "What?" <laughs> he goes, "All right, well, let's get through this race." But I was moving back from Colorado to Illinois, and I knew he was training for did it. Did
0: you have experience with uh, bike riding at that point?
1: No, none. I had done the two races for the Leadman Series, but I did them really slow, and I did them on a really old bike, and they beat the heck out of me. But I was training for running at that point in time, so. Oh, wow. Anyway, so I uh, I moved back home, and Nathan Tackett was already writing or um, scheduling or writing a training program for Michael Kenny, and they owned their own company back home called Plan for Adventure, where they actually trained athletes and they took them on mini adventures and stuff like that. So well, he already had an old parking garage that had been converted into a gym. Yeah, it's a great resource. So yeah, and so generally, my training is the way it's written is about. I would say 50% gym, like strength and power, you know, a lot of uh, free weights, Hmm. um, a lot of conditioning through that. And then 50% of it's out riding my bike. Man. But I don't do big miles. You know, people say, you know, what do you ride 300 miles a week? Sometimes I ride only a hundred miles a week, Yeah, (laughs) but it's, it depends on what you're riding. Sometimes I'm riding intervals. Um, and you have to, change it all up. You know, sometimes you want to go at an easy pace and just watch your heart rate and go for maybe a three hour ride, maybe a six hour ride. It really just depends on what, um, cycle of the training program I'm in.
0: Does your, is your complete training schedule, um, is it, is it controlled by your coach? You- um, it was, yeah. So
1: and what I mean by that was when I walked into training for the tour divide with Michael, it was basically all planned out by Nathan. And then Michael went on this great adventure with his wife. They built out a sprinter van and started touring the national parks. And I decided I was going to try to do the Trans Am, mm. <laughs> which was completely different, a road bike race. Yeah. So I went to Nathan and I said, Hey, I'm going to do this other race. And he said, okay, tell me about it. And I said, it's a road bike race. It's 4,300 miles. You want to write a program for me? And he said, yeah, absolutely. So he just wrote a program and it's basically, uh, five week cycles and it's four weeks on and then one week recovery.
0: And so whenever I he did does, that for about six months, then that includes cycling and gym work and yeah,
1: nutrition or no, no nutrition. Um, I just figure that out as I go. Right. Yeah. His, uh, Nathan's wife is actually a nutritionalist and I watched her do a talk to the plan for adventure people the year before. So that was very informative in terms of, you know, uh, recovery, your carbs to protein ratio, things of that nature. And basically what I gathered from her talk and she studies like what the, the American Heart Association and all those other things recommend because she works in a hospital was, um, a lot of moderation and keeping things well-balanced. In and that, yeah and that seemed to work really well for me i don't have any uh specific allergies i'm not a vegan or a vegetarian so the whole food spectrum is really open to yep. me but i did realize um after doing the american trail race in 2017 and then the trans am and then the gravel grand that i was having a really hard time eating gas station food i just didn't want to eat cliff bars anymore nothing mm-hmm. looked good so i did this 200 uh kilometer ride called the turds of misery that this woman, (laughs) Jen Reed put on back in the quad cities. And it was a, you know, gravel grinder in Iowa. It ended up being 130 miles and almost 10,000 feet of climbing. But I was, I was dead by the end of it because I wasn't eating enough calories. Everything I had brought in, in my frame pack, I I just didn't want to eat. I would just be sitting there chewing and chewing and chewing and chewing. And and then I would drink some water. And I would chew and I just didn't want to swallow any of that food. So I actually contacted Billy, um, after that race, that race, Billy Rice. Yeah. Billy Rice in September. And I said, Hey, I want to try keto. (laughs) Uh And his first question was why, you know? And I said, well, I'm a little bit overweight. You know, I just went to Costa Rica after the Trans Am and I, and I, I think I weighed 170 at the time, which was about seven pounds overweight for me. And I've been kind of calorie calorie restricting my diet. I can't lose any weight. I don't really feel great. And I just did this 200 kilometer race, and I couldn't eat any of the food I brought. And he said, "All right, well, we can work with that." Mm-hmm. So uh, I worked with him for just a little bit. He gave me some some guidelines, and I did keto for two months, and it was fantastic. But I'm not on keto anymore. Uh, it <laughs> Too was hard. I, or... Yeah, it requires a lot of discipline. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the way he explained it to me was. Especially if I'm going to go out and do a race, my body will become keto adapted. And if I get any of this wrong, Billy, I'm very sorry. But um, there, there's
0: episode two of this podcast yeah, where he, he he breaks everything
1: down. Uh, go back and listen to what's yeah. actually the truth. But this is what I remember him telling <laughs> this is, me. This is your truth. Yeah. Uh, basically, what would happen is after I became keto adapted, I could still go out to a race and eat eat gas station food that has carbohydrates. It won't kick you out. And it won't kick me out of keto. But yeah. I didn't have enough patience to last that long. I got really tired of eating fat bombs and stuff like that. And you don't necessarily have to do that to stay in keto, but you have to be good enough to know what to eat. You can actually eat a bunch of salads and good foods yeah. on keto. It's not all fat and stuff like that.
0: What are you, what do you but do, I I do now? Pasta. Yeah. What do yeah. you do now uh, for eating? <laughs> I'm kind
1: of back on my normal diet. Yeah, which Well, um, I mean,
0: for sorry, whenever you're racing, mm-hmm.
1: uh, what it's, does your be, diet look it'll like? Be gas station you're food. just back to the gas station food. Yeah, like a couple of my go-to's are um, chocolate milk is always good. I'm never tired of chocolate milk. Usually cheese, uh, Cliff bars, I don't know. We'll see. I wanted a lot of hot food. Like I like pizza, gas station pizza, yeah. and all the gas stations I went into last year didn't have any pizza in texas but they all had a cooler full of tall boys there you go so i was (laughs) i was tempted to drink a beer in the middle of the race but i knew it would just i was feeling like crap last year anyway so we'll see how this year's this year goes i haven't done any real racing since last september and i haven't been training much so i haven't eaten a lot of gas station food so i think this race will be okay yeah in terms of keeping enough calories down but
0: I was, uh, it's all an adventure, you know, I I was planning my food based on wherever I could find a hot meal. And I, Mm -hmm. in in hindsight, it was my first event, you know, the 500 was my first event last year and I needed that carrot, you know, like a burger, a a cheeseburger, bacon cheeseburger Mm -hmm. whatever. Like I needed that carrot, I think to help like keep me going. And then I'd have a great meal and I keep going. And, um, but I mean, I was slow as hell. (laughs) Yeah. But but the the
1: important thing was you kept going. Yeah. You found a way to keep yourself motivated, which is very important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You have to, there's no one else out there except for you and your thoughts. And so whatever it takes to get you to the finish. Mm -hmm. um,
1: I think when Billy and I rolled up on you last year, you were, it was about midday. You looked pretty beaten down. I remember that. I think we lifted your spirits a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Which was cool. I mean, I, I knew it was your first ultra event and, to see you, I was really proud when I saw you. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, keep going, man. You're, you're doing it. But it it's, was a, it's it was hard a when you're huge out by yourself. You know? I remember
0: because that was uh, right after the Groveton Road, which you'll Ooh. know. Um, it's like what a four-mile stretch, and it's always rutted out. And I have a picture on my Instagram where uh, my, my bike fully loaded down is – completely held up by the mud. I mean, I just set it there and like stood back and took a picture and it, you know, so to give you an idea of what the Groveton road is like for four miles, that's what it is. Yeah. And then you guys rolled up on me like right after that, like a, a few miles after that, that was, that was a rough day. That was day three. I woke up, mm-hmm. um, I woke up that morning. I, I hammock ca- camp. So I, uh, I rolled out of my hammock and literally just fell to the ground. Like I couldn't, my, my legs didn't work. You mm-hmm. know. And uh, I cried, I, you know, I got emotional, like, you know, it was just me. My uh, my, my, dynamo. My dyno uh, wasn't, wait, what's the hub called? The dynamo hub? Dynamo yeah, hub, yeah. I just had it right the first time. Uh, uh, all my electronics were, were down, so I couldn't, like, call anybody or, like, see where anyone, you know, I just, I, I was just out there in the woods, like, by myself with my legs that didn't work. Sounds and like you hit a low. I did, I hit low a low. But, you know, I, what I did is I just kinda, I was like, all right, you know, I, I kinda gathered myself and I just worked through it. I, I made myself like a breakfast. I, Mm -hmm. I, I brought food, like I bought, brought like freeze dried mountain house, whatever Mm -hmm. made myself that I had coffee, had a nice, you know, I just relaxed and then I got to where like, I went and got my bike and then I kinda just started walking up and down with my bike. And then I didn't know where I was going, um, cause my GPS was, was down. So oh, no. then I got to where I could like get on my bike <laughs> and start riding again. And I had to just ride back and forth like this mile up and down the road until the dynamo would charge, uh, my GPS unit. And oh, I was able to figure see, out where yeah, I was I see going. What you're doing. That's smart. So that was, that's yeah. how I started that day. It was, it was a tough day, but it taught me a lot, you know, about myself and, persevered. uh, persevered. Yeah. Persevered. You know, I'm, I'm proud of that. It was, uh. It was a tough moment, you mm-hmm. know, and, uh, we were talking before we started recording about how, I mean, uh, the physical aspect is certainly a huge component, but at some point the mental aspect is, is what I think really kicks in and is going to keep, keep you going. Cause like my body had shut down, my body was like, nope, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of just was like, no, we're going to do this. And then eventually your body will catch up to you and be like, okay, he's not going to stop. So I guess we got to keep going. Yeah, at least that's what yeah. I thought. Yeah,
1: I completely agree. the The mental aspect. I think what we're finding more and more as these races get more challenging, some of them are getting longer, the times are getting faster. is uh, Is the mental aspect? You know, people are packing less and less on their bikes. Yeah. We just looked at the winner of the Biking Man Omen race, and it looks like he had four water bottles. Right, Tom? Yeah. Four water bottles and a top two bag. Wow. And people are figuring out how far they can mentally go in between stops without resupplying. You know, they're taking all of those comforts away because all those comforts, you know, they're not packing their fears because everything extra is going to weigh something. Yeah. So to get that little bit down, you have to, you know, mentally you have to be prepared for that. And then when you're stranded somewhere, your electronics are down. Your blood sugar gets low there's only one thing that's going to get you out of there and that's that's your mental fortitude yeah you know you so have how, to have it
0: how do you train mentally like i know you do yoga i know you do yeah. um meditation yeah um, i think
1: those are two key components to to mental
0: uh, how long you been doing that mental
1: fortitude i really started uh <laughs> when i when i started training for um for the american trail race in 2017 you know we, we originally thought we were going to do the tour divide and I started training with Mike and he kind of brought up the meditation and the yoga. And I had been into yoga on and off before I used to go pretty regularly to a place in Vale, and I just kind of fallen off a little bit. And I, so I, I already understood that connection between your, your mind and your body. And, uh, with meditation, I think you had the third element of your spirit gets involved a little bit in there too. And, it's can, you,
0: a, can you talk me through I, I don't well, meditate. yeah and okay I'm, I'm um, the most unflicked I can't even sit crisscross applesauce right? I, I have no flexibility. Yeah, well
1: okay so neither can I. Um, really? One, really? yeah like one of the one of the most helpful tools uh, for meditation I started talking to my buddy Kirk at home about it and he he there's it's just called a meditation pad. It's filled with like uh, buckwheat seeds or husks. Hmm. so it's it's really light and airy. It's just a circular pad maybe 16 inches in diameter maybe four inches off the ground. And the reason you sit on that is it keeps your butt elevated. And then for un- and for people that are inflexible, like you and me, you can still keep your legs crossed and it's not going to be uncomfortable on your mm. knees. So if you were to try and sit that way and you're very inflexible and you're not used to it on a, on a bare ground or carpet, mm. it's not going to be comfortable. So immediately you're going to stop focusing on your breath. You're right. going to think about how much your knees hurt. And you're going to maybe make it like 10 seconds. I'm trying to meditate and I can't. That was good. But let's try it again tomorrow. No, it's um, meditation is, is I think like anything else that's rewarding is you have to work at it. And you, um, it doesn't come very easily, especially I think in our technical world where we're so involved in social media Mm -hmm. and, there's so many distractions, you know, living in a big city. Like I consider this place big. There's a lot of people here. Yeah. I live in a smaller place, and, and I don't know if I could live in a place that was more populated than where I live. Anyways, what I'm trying to say is there's a lot going on around us. And
0: yeah, we're busier than we've ever yeah, been.
1: When yeah, you, when you sit down and you meditate, all of those thoughts come flooding to you. And I'm thinking, oh, I need to
0: go for a bike
1: ride. Uh, do I have to work tonight? Uh, how's my mom doing? Uh, all of these things flood into you and you know, it, it could be anything, whatever's going on in your
0: life at that point in time.
1: And is that what
0: meditation is, is allowing you to be alone with your thoughts? I think
1: so. I, I'm not an expert well, on for it, you, but I mean... yeah. So there's, I think there's two main types of meditation and the one that I practice focuses on your breath. And with that, you also focus on the thoughts that come into your mind and you also learn to let go of your thoughts so you develop a deep understanding with your breath and what's going on around you and inside of your mind and kind of internalize all of that. Yeah. And I I use it, I use an app called insight timer and it has been incredibly beneficial. So anybody listening that is thinking about getting into meditation or for you, for example, those would be the two things I would recommend would, would be downloading insight timer, and getting a meditation cushion and that helps immensely yeah and insight timer is basically there's a whole array of different uh, meditations for different things like anxiety or sleep or breathing or concentration and basically they've taken this app and they've put together a bunch of audible meditations that you can listen to or they also have like the chant the chants and the mantras or sometimes you can just listen to the ohm and they're all different times, and it's it kind of gives you a little bit of structure in the meditation. So you're not just sitting there in a room in complete silence. Like at all times, I'll have some sort of some sort of background noise going on, hmm. and with that background noise, it kind of filters out everything else, and then I just focus on my in breath and my out breath.
0: Yeah. I find music helps me collect my thoughts, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, something going on in the background, I guess, I guess to distract my mind a little bit to free it up to yeah, just, of just be kind of free with your thoughts and let things kind of flow. Um, so how long do you meditate for? Does it, does it
1: change? It, yeah, it, it definitely changes. I have a few on there that are set up for 20 minutes and it's and for example, like the background Ohm noise on there, I'll set up for 20 minutes and, sometimes I'll go six. Sometimes I'll go two. It's like, I think the most I've ever gone was 13. Yeah. And that's after two years of meditation. And when I say that's as far as I'll make it is, um, eventually my mind just becomes so filled with those thoughts and I'm not able to focus on my breath and I've just lost that feeling of, of nothingness almost like yeah. just that focus. And, I just kind of snap out of it, and I like ring I have one of those little singing bowls that my friend Kirk bought me, mm-hmm. and i'll I'll ring that a few times and it's weird. I've developed a relationship with that inanimate object. I love it to the world. and back again, I just love that sound of the singing bowl, but it, it all depends and That's how you end your meditation, yeah, yeah, and I nice. usually do a little bow and yeah. just um that, that yeah, sounds take pretty... a little breath and then I get ready to take on my day.
0: yeah, I definitely think that uh. We're definitely overworked. We're over everything. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're inundated in every possible direction. Um, Our time is always, uh, you know, uh, someone has a demand on it somewhere, it seems like. So being able to slow down is important. I can also see that when you're out there alone with your thoughts, being comfortable with your thoughts has to play some kind of role. You know, I mean, you're out there for 30 days on ATR or whatever it is. Yeah. And, uh, you're going to be, you're going to be out there just with you and your thoughts. Do you listen to music or podcasts or anything when you were out? Yeah,
1: sure. Sure. I do. Um, lots of music, uh, podcasts, and then you just get tired of listening to those. And sometimes you listen to the You you just listen to nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and with the meditation, you really need to, a lot of people will say bikepacking is meditating or meditative. And I can see that you become one with your surroundings and definitely the more secluded you get like take the you know i'm sure the tour divide is like this but there's places in the american trail race where you won't see a person for 100 miles and that's pretty beautiful to me yeah some people not so much i know people that really struggle when they're in an environment alone a lot of like some people are just very social yeah and i'm a social person but i also enjoy just being by myself and alone with my thoughts and internalizing, you know, what's happened to me over the last few years. And it's very therapeutic yeah. in, in that sense. And I'm like you in that way, Yeah, I
0: like you... to, I, I don't like to race somebody else's race or ride somebody else's ride. I mean, I like to ride with people sometimes too, but mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, I enjoy just being in tune with what I'm doing and that experience for me. Mm-hmm. And you know, so yeah, everybody's a little bit different in that regard.
1: Sure, sure. And and going back to that meditative aspect, you learn that you just have to be there in the present moment. When something like your bike chain breaks, and you're a hundred miles from a bike shop and nobody's around, nobody's coming to save you, and you just stop and you take a breath. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're back at your moment, and you think, oh, it's okay. I know how to fix this. Yeah. You know, I had this. Crazy experience, uh, during the 2017 race. And I was in Baker city and is this
0: ATR, the American trail race. Okay.
1: Yeah. So I was in Baker city and the next stop was uh, battlefield. So this is, or battle mountain. This is Nevada. And I called my parents. I had just had lunch and they asked where I was and said, yeah, I got, to, I have 20 miles to go to battle mountain. So, you know, I'll give you guys a call. They were trying to meet me at the finish. So they were kind of trying to figure out when I was going to finish the race. I was just checking in with them. So I got out, got off the phone with them, and I went to the gas station, and I bought a couple liters of water and a couple snacks. And I headed out, like, in the middle of nowhere, thinking that Battle Mountain was going to be 20 miles in. So I'm riding about 22 miles, and I'm in the middle of nowhere. Like, it's the desert. There's some rolling hills. There's nothing around. And I realize I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> and I look at my phone, and it says 120 miles. Oh, And, oh man, Mike, Mike Kinney, I think was about 12 hours behind me in the race. And Dylan was about 12 hours in front of me. So if I turned around, I was going to lose four hours, but I only had three liters of water and the equivalent of 10 cliff bars Mm -hmm. for the next hundred miles. Well, it wasn't a fast hundred miles. You know, there was probably 8,000 feet of climbing. We were at 4,000 feet of elevation and it was 90 degrees.
0: Yeah. That's tough. And I,
1: I, I like, I didn't get off my bike, but I turned it around, you know, I scooted it around, turned the front wheel and turned it around and it didn't feel right. Yeah. And I turned it back around and I said, fuck it. (laughs) I'm just going to go for it. And it was the most amazing thing. Three miles later, I saw one of those diesel water pumps that pump up water into the cattle troughs. Oh, and I'd seen maybe 150 of these by now. None of them were ever running. And this one was running. Wow. And there was no rancher around. There was no cows around. And I just kind of smiled myself and I went over there and I filled up a water bottle and I looked at it and I'm like, that looks pretty good.
0: <laughs> you know? Did you have any filtration, anything? No, or,
1: no. Yeah. I probably drank five gallons unfiltered water during the American Trail Race. I had brought some bleach with me, but I never really used it. I used it to clean out my water bottles huh. once and... I, so, I went from having three liters, three liters of water and a thousand calories for 100 miles to chugging three liters. And I had um, purchased a, a camelback at Walmart and taken the reservoir out. And I was just stuffing Aquafina bottles in there whenever I needed them. Because it was a heat wave when we went through Utah, so 109 degrees. And so were I was Were you
0: going through during the day or night? Well, I guess yeah. about 120 miles you were
1: Yeah, I had to go through the day. I mean, there's I talked to my friends who does uh, search and rescue in Moab when I went through there and, and I was going through there at night and I said, Do you have any advice? Because he had done two body recounts that week alone where they had to go rescue somebody. And he said, Don't ride between the hours of ten and four and I just kinda laughed. <laughs> well, that's not gonna happen, right? <laughs> so I just like went on my merry way and then I find myself in nevada with very little resources but what happens was i I went from having three liters to having six liters of water which was what i was really worried about you know you can ride without food but you just go a little bit slower and i just thought back to my meditation and i thought if i can control my breathing and if i can control my heart rate i'm gonna make it but it was scary (laughs) and the next morning I woke up and I was still 20 miles from Battle Mountain, so I got you know 80 miles, 100 miles of riding done the rest of that day. And there was these jackrabbits. There was three of them. I'll never forget it. They're running across the path, and I was kind of zoned out. You know, you you kind of get that far off, distant stare when you're expecting a town coming up, and you're you're sleep deprived, you're food deprived, and then all of a sudden I see a. 16-inch rattlesnake on the ground Ooh. and I screamed like a little girl <laughs> nobody around of course and I lifted my feet in the air and I ran it over and I and I expected like blood to like gush up I was, ugh, I, was I was terrified and I kept on writing and when I got into town I thought I was just all just a dream and Mike Kenny crossed the next day and he gave me a call and he said yeah I just saw that rattlesnake that you posted about you definitely ran one over and I'm like oh so that was real yeah. did you kill? I him? didn't know if I was hallucinating or not. Yeah, it was dead. Oh wow. Yeah, but I was I was so dehydrated and with lack of food and sleep, and this was on probably like day twenty of that race. You know, so you're you've already been riding for a very long time. Your body is just exhausted.
0: How much of the ATR is off road? About eighty five percent. Okay. Yeah, it's I know the, the
1: first chunk of it is. Unfortunately in the east coast, and it's something Billy and I have been looking at, it's about 450, 500 miles of pavement to start, and it's really kind of boring, and there's a lot of climbing, but we just looked at starting in two different locations to possibly link it up to the Allegheny Mountain Trail or Trans North Georgia, and neither of us really think it's worth it to change the start from the Cape Lookout campground which is what we start at. We take mm. a ferry o- over to Cape lookout and then we have a huge, that's yeah, a, a cool start. Yeah. We have a small racer meeting and everybody gets to camp out before the race and get to meet each other. It's really a special uh, way to start a 5,000 mile event. Next morning oh. we take the ferry over and, and that's the official beginning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, I know safety is a huge concern for you, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. 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 So yeah. How especially how do you, getting whenever you're into talking about, yeah, road riding, especially. So whenever yeah. you're talking about, lack of sleep and you know, you don't know if you're seeing snakes, if they're really there and you're really not there, how do you balance like the safety aspect of it? And, and yeah, what do you do to to stay safe when you're out there?
1: Yeah. So when I'm, um, when I'm just training normal, riding back home, I, I wear a safety vest, all of my, well, I only have one bike, but my bike is loaded up with reflective stickers. Um, I always have two rear lights, two front lights in case one of them runs out of batteries just being aware of where you're at um so it's not i feel pretty safe when i'm riding at home i live in illinois Mm. and drivers are actually fairly courteous you know i think and tom and i talked about this the other day people are so distracted it might not even i mean i think being visible helps but it only takes a few seconds for someone to be looking at their phone to veer off the side of the road and accidentally hit you so yeah, it's, that's it's really scary. Larger problem. I actually feel safer when I'm riding at night. I do too. Because everybody can see uh, yeah. Um, sometimes, you. Yeah. Know, so bright colors are great. Um, but being aware of who's around you. I also, I started using, um, on my drop bars, I have a Zephyl side mirror. I think it costs 11 bucks on Amazon. And I've dropped my bike a million times. And it's really easy to just push it back in the right position. I can't imagine riding without a mirror where I can see
0: traffic I know.
1: coming behind me now.
0: I'm the same way. I yeah. really like being able to see what's behind me. I know a lot of people don't um, have, yeah, have mirrors yeah. and that shocks me. Um, and but... I've
1: heard the argument people, people are saying, um, well, it will distract you and you'll look at it all the time. And I go, well, if you ever driven a car, I was thinking. you're not constantly looking in your side mirrors, right? Like something might catch your eye out of the, and, and then you look at it and that's the point. Right. You know, or if you need to change lanes, you look at it, you're not constantly looking at it, but yeah, there's a lot of old schoolers and even new schoolers that just don't want to do that. And that's okay. You know, that's obviously that's their choice. I'm not here to preach on them, but for me,
0: yeah, everybody rides their own ride. I
1: feel so much safer out there. Um, sleep deprivation is a whole nother thing. It's I wouldn't worry about it too, so much on the American trail race. But on a a road race like the Trans Am, um, I got myself into trouble a few times with sleep deprivation. And eventually I figured out once my vision got so blurry that it was time to sleep. And that was my deciding factor on when I would sleep was when I couldn't see straight.
0: That sounds like Uh, a good time.
1: Yeah. So what happened was I was going, and this is the first time, first and only time it happened. But I was going through these crazy rolling hills in Missouri. You think Missouri's going to be flat. And it's not, it was right outside of Nathan, the race director's hometown. So him and Anthony, uh, were driving across country, taking media photos. So they were taking pictures of me and Craig Polly were pretty close at that point in time, I think maybe fourth and fifth place or something like that. Anyway, so it was Nathan's hometown and I stopped at the gas station and I, I went inside and I got some, some milkshakes and I came outside and I'd been trying to catch Craig for days, you know, thousands of miles. And finally I had caught up to him and I knew he was coming to meet me at the gas station and it was really funny. I took one look at him and he took his glasses off and his eyes were all swollen and he had, you know, those white sweat marks from salt Mm -hmm. all over his Jersey and his legs were swollen. And all I had was I had just complete love and admiration for him. I'm like, yes, this dude is working just as hard as I am. Like we are totally in it. Yeah. So being that I got to that gas station five minutes before him, I left five minutes before him. And I had 30 miles to get to the next resupply point. And I started to get tired after about 20 miles. And I noticed um, I dozed off. Whoa. And my head came up. And I, and I kind of thought, did that just happen? But I was still in my lane. I was still on the side of the road. So I looked at my phone, and I saw there was some hotels. I said, okay, all I got to do is get to this place. And the next thing I knew, I had a driver honking at me. They had, I think what they were trying to do is they had tried to pass me. And I had swerved all the way in to oncoming traffic on my bike yeah, on a two-lane road. Wow. And there was a car headed my direction. And I just, my mind, like, alarms went off. I was saying, fuck, I was thinking about Mike Hall, just yeah. all of the bad stuff. You know, the other people that got hit on the Trans Am. And I immediately went over, obviously, to my side of the road. In a few blocks, there was a house and it had some pine trees. I just got off my bike and I walked over to those pine trees and it was like three 30 in the afternoon, 95 degrees, 90% humidity. I was only carrying a bivy bag at that point in time. I didn't have a sleeping bag or sleeping pad. Got my bivy. I took off all my clothes and I fell asleep immediately. I woke up four and a half hours later. It was eight 30. I was in a pool of sweat,
2: mm.
1: but I didn't wake up once during that sleep. That's how exhausted I was. And I was—it scared the crap out of me. Yeah, that's I've never a, been that's that scared. That's a sobering story. Yeah, and it's just—I realized, okay, like your vision gets blurry, you get off the bike, yeah. and that's actually when I switched over to night riding. I was getting really, really frazzled by the traffic on the Trans Am, and that's just part of the race. Mm-hmm. I'm just not used to that type of riding. I had, I had been training on a road bike for four months, and. It was scary. I I finished the race. I did pretty good. I got. What was
0: the scariest state to go through? Her Kansas isn't. It's Kansas. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, as soon as I, I like 50,
2: the wind, fifty miles, got fifty miles into the
1: state line, I was, I was, and it was, I think, about thirty miles outside of where the guy got hit last year, and and was killed. Um, and I hear this honking, and I look in my mirror, and there's a semi barreling down at me. And there's nobody coming in oncoming draf- traffic,
2: hmm.
1: and he wasn't trying to hit me; otherwise, he would have just hit me. So he's honking his horn, and I get off into the gravel. You know, it's going maybe 16 miles an hour, but it shook me, and I almost fell off. And he just he went by, and he was just honking his horn. It's a game. Why? I don't know. Why? I don't know why. And I and I just had the thought and the feeling of, "Fuck Kansas," <laughs> you know, this state's gonna suck. I heard it sucks yeah and yeah i don't think you're the first person to say or think uh that. you do you remember louie who came down to gravel grand last year yeah, yeah the our lantern rouge he was the mm-hmm. lantern rouge on trans am this year and he took an alternative route and he had seen signposts that were the three feet it's the law give bike spacers that had been cut off at the base multiple signs just cut off yeah like, they don't like us for some reason
0: I don't get it, man. I have, we have a a friend here locally, um, that was just killed about a month ago. Well, Kerry was was telling me about that. Ken Spence, he, uh, he was very accomplished cyclist, also very, very safe. And, uh, a guy just, you know, ran him over It was a a two lane road. There was a shoulder. He was in the shoulder and just hit him. No brakes, no nothing. And And then he got a ticket for
1: improper lane usage or
0: something. Yeah, that's hard, man. If um, there's no consequences, no consequences. people're <laughs> gonna care. They don't. And and the the scary thing was is I went on Facebook because there's, you know, media about it and so I went on Facebook and I was reading the comments that were coming out and I mean it's hundreds of comments and and none of them were good. I mean they were all just, you know, basically fuck cyclist And I don't know why we've become like a lower citizen, like Mm -hmm. you know, but uh, for some reason we are. And that was a really eye-opening experience for me because I know him and uh, rode with him. knew what kind of rider he was. knew he was safe, Mm -hmm. and he was he was in an area where I ride all the time, or I used to ride all the time. And then then to see the public's reaction to that, and it was it was okay. It was okay that a cyclist was killed. You know, it was his fault. Um, people were admonishing him for uh, for leaving his family behind, and 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 were upset with him for for putting being for putting so irresponsible, for being so irresponsible. Yeah. And it was really eye opening to me, and it's sad. It's terrible. Yeah, really sad. It, it's sad, but it it was a it was a good it was something I needed to see. I think you know, people's for whatever reason, like you were saying in Kansas, that's what made me think about it. Mm-hmm. There's people out there that really just don't give a shit. Yeah. And I think if we're going to be on the roads, we need to be aware of that. It's not something fun to talk about or anything, but yep. I think, it, I think it's good for people to to have that realization or know that you're out there on your own and you really are out there for your own safety. Like you mm-hmm. are, you need to be looking out for yourself because a lot of people don't really care. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to, you know, talk. Well, to
1: even you about. an event like the gravel grand That's, you know, not a crazy distance, but it's 500 miles. We're all going to get separated, the riders, you know, so we probably won't be riding in groups. And who's not to say that somebody's going to be having fun at night and just pick off a cyclist in a big truck? Yeah. That's been known to happen before. And it's it's scary, and I don't know what to do about it. I, I talked to Peter Anderson, like the person who won the Trans Am after the race, and we were congratulating each other, and he said, He asked me if I was going to do it again next year. And I said, fuck, no, it was too scary. I'll never do this race again. And I think everybody should do it once. (laughs) I mean, it was an awesome experience. I'm not down talking the Trans Am. I love that race. I love the race directors. I love the people in that race. I love what it represents. But uh, it was too scary you know and he's like i know you could break my record i don't care yeah, it's if i could it. or couldn't like yeah. and i i had issues during that race with my derailleur and other stuff and everybody has issues during the race you're, you're riding 4300 miles that's going to happen and i was talking to my buddy jay about it he said dude you had the race you were supposed to have you know that's right it's fine you did awesome yeah be proud you know you made it and and walk away with your head held high like that was what you're supposed to do but what i'm trying to say is like it sucks that I don't want to go out and do that race. Right. Because I feel like they have won and I don't want to go out road biking again because I don't feel safe. And that's not the answer.
0: We have every right to be out there. That's true. But so what do I do? We, we lose every time and that's the problem. Sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I don't I don't know what the answer is, but you know, hopefully talking about it is part of it. I think yeah. you know the big thing that you touched on is holding people accountable. It's it's mind-blowing how often uh, somebody injures or kills a cyclist and there's little to no repercussions for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here locally we've just been trying to get our district attorney to really look at the case and like get involved. Get involved and yeah. like make him aware of a person know. died. Yeah. Yeah. And they and had a family. family. Yeah. And and he wasn't doing anything wrong. He yeah. was well within his rights. Exactly. Um so Anyway, it's wild, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a bummer, I and mean, I know
1: we all know the the inherent risks, and you know accidents do happen. But
0: I used to be really uh, kind of like fuck cars, mm-hmm. but that's not a good attitude for a cyclist to have. I mean, I, I'm not going to win that fight ever, you yeah. know. And so, I've really, really, you know. Uh, taking a huge step back on any type of road riding. I'll, mm-hmm. i I take my bike, throw it in the back of my truck, and drive out to some gravel. Mm-hmm. And then even then, you know, about a month ago, we were we were in Sam Houston National Forest. I mean, there's no one around, and some guy in a Cavalier comes up behind us, and there's three of us, and we're on the side of the road. And he comes up behind us and guns it and starts fishtailing, and I thought, I mean, he lost control of his vehicle, so I was worried they was going to like come back and hit us. What you an know, idiot. I'm just like, there was no reason Why? for that. Yeah, to, what? What? You just don't on. like the fact that we are riding our bikes. Yeah, it, it's so weird, man. I, uh, there's another book that I've been reading called Uh, Women on the Move. It's actually about Dottie Farnsworth. It's a relative of mine that did uh, six day races back in like 1900. That's cool. Um, yeah, really cool. But if you just go back a hundred years ago, I mean, cycling was the thing, right? I mean, it. it the cycling, like this race, this six-day race that they would do, it's like the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just so entrenched in our culture. Everybody who rode bikes, you know, knowing who won the race and going and watching the races. I mean, it made the papers. It, it was a big, big, big part of our, our culture. And in 100 years, we've completely gone away from that. And now, you know, it's just cars, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah.
1: yeah. And what's it going to be next? I mean, I'm kind of hoping the self-driving cars yeah. might be a little solution, you know, I think because that, they're going to have sensors and they're not going to automatically hit people type of thing. You know, they'll yeah, automatically I break think the a, car. That's huge. I think that sounds promising we're obviously some years away from that, but I think that technology could be very helpful yeah. in terms of keeping cyclists safe.
0: Do you hear about... um? uh, do you know who Mr. Money Mustache is?
1: I wish I did, but I don't. So he's,
0: he's like a financial advisor guy. Um, he teaches people how to like retire early and if anybody wants to like look him up, but he just put out, um, plans for a carless city outside of, I think Boulder, Colorado. And it's very much in its infancy, but I like Mm -hmm. the idea of it. I mean, he, he uh designed the whole town to where you you can drive to the town and you park outside but then it's all bikes from there you know that that's neat i like that i like that people are talking that about really it neat. yeah you know we're my, cool. my wife and i are actually looking at moving to like a more cycling friendly com- uh community we we just bought land up in uh northwest Arkansas i don't know if you're like familiar with like the bike scene up there, Mm -hmm. but it's all Walmart money basically. But Bentonville, Bella Vista, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's crazy, man. I mean, Walmart's put like $17 million into the bike infrastructure there. So the lot that we bought backs up, there's there world-class trails, like 40 feet off my, my back property line. Mm -hmm. From there, I can ride a 43 mile trail that goes all the way from Bella Vista, Bentonville down to Fayetteville. And then there's single track all off of that. So you know i'm I, it's such a problem that like i'm looking at moving i mean we are planning to move for to the, get, yeah for the safety just, and security just of your because family. we want to be yeah. able to ride bikes and enjoy yeah. it and like there it's a part of the culture you go ride a bike and there's old people there's families there's kids there's i mean you were, the, the neighborhood goes mm-hmm. and rides bikes you know because the city is invested in the infrastructure and if you build it they'll come i guess right,
1: right? and when you have to wonder what what they're doing here in uh is college station or yeah. brian and, and carrie was saying this is the fifth fastest developing county or city in them in america yeah. so if they're not developing bike lanes with that infrastructure then yeah you're kind of at a loss we're lucky with if we increase traffic and everything
0: yeah we're lucky if we can get uh bike racks in front of businesses it's part of like the city code is like if you have a business you're supposed to put up a bike. there's rack. a
1: college here too right yeah yeah you would imagine that yeah. that would be very much encouraged. Yeah. yeah. You would imagine it's, it was kind of mind boggling. Yeah, <laughs> We're,
0: we're, we're backwards in a lot of ways and that, that's yeah. just one of them, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. So, uh, what got you into bikepacking? Where did it all start for you?
1: Yeah, it actually, um, started at the Leadville 100 trail run in 2013 and my brother had just finished it. And at that time I was, uh, pretty heavy into drinking, smoking cigarettes. And I had just paced him for the entire, well, not paced him, but crewed him for the entire run. And I was in disbelief that somebody actually just ran a hundred miles.
0: It still blows my mind. Yeah. And I can't believe, I can't
1: believe I've even done it. You know, (laughs) Uh, it's anybody that does it, it's such an accomplishment. But anyways, um, so that was August uh, 16th, 2013. And approximately two weeks later, my brother passed away unexpectedly. And I was living in California. My parents are in Illinois. And it was you know, its by far the worst day of my entire life. Was The older or younger? Finding out you? that my older brother died. Yeah, he yeah, was four years remember. older than me. Somebody who was, you know, i people say I'm athletic, but I'm like 5'8", 155 pounds. You know, he was 6'1", 200 pounds, never smoked a cigarette in data's day of his life, had so much potential, and it's just starting to get into the ultras um so him and my friend mike who's down here for the gravel grand they had actually talked about doing the tour divide and i i didn't know anything i didn't know anything about bike piking at the time so after he passed away the first thing i could think of of doing was taking his ashes and spreading them on hope pass which is the 50 mile right around the 50 mile turnaround point for the leadville trail run hundred so um when i got back to California after his, uh, memorial or celebration of life. I just started running and, uh, you know, running one mile at a time, two miles at a time after six weeks of no training plan, just me running. I went out and ran a self-supported marathon by myself. Whoa. With a, with a liter of water on my back. <laughs> and at mile 16, my legs started to give out systematically First, it was my knees and then it was my ankles and then it was my shins. So I walked, the last seven miles. I finished in like five hours wow, that's impressive. I, was, I was really pissed. And I was like, what the hell you just walked seven miles. And then I <laughs> thought about it and said, Hey, people train for six months to a year to go run a marathon. Like, let's keep working on this. So that was the goal was to spread my brother's ashes. Um, I was living in, uh, Colorado and I had applied three times for the, or two times for the Leadville lottery. It's a very popular race now. And I hadn't gotten in my best friend, Jay, that I grew up with was out in Colorado as well. And he said, he saw my message on Facebook and he, he texted me. He said, I found a loophole. And I said, well, what's that? And he goes, you can do the lead man series. And I said, well, what's that? Cause you sign up for all the races and it's like, you know, you pay an extra amount of money, but you're automatically have a lottery entry into all the races. So you can do the Leadville 100. But there's also two bike rides included, and it's three Mm -hmm. runs. So total, it's like 282 miles of Leadville races. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty cool. So that's (laughs) like actually what got me into... I mean, I had mountain biked before, but I had never like traveled and bike packed or anything like that. At this point in time, I remember Mike talking about doing the Tour Divide in 2015, and I remember going over to his house, and he had, you know, he had actually bought my brother's old frame that he was building out to do that race, which was a, a Linsky Pro 29er. He, he'll be riding it for the Gravel Grand, but he had a, a full tent set up, you know, bungee corded to the front handlebars, and a sleeping bag sticking out the back, and water bottles taped to his frame, and I remember thinking, That is freaking awesome. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? And he told me and he told him, he told me that, uh, you know, him and my brother had planned on doing it. So when my brother passed away, he said, that's it. Like no more second chances, no more bailing. I'm going to go do this. So Mike went out and did it in 2015. Not really prepared, you know, not a great setup. I still, I think he finished in like 23 days. He did did pretty awesome. He's pretty relentless. And, And Mike ended up doing the American trail race with me too, but That's how I got into it. I remember thinking about that. So here I was living in Colorado. I knew I was moving back to Illinois, and I did that Leadville Trail 100 run, and it was at mile 70, and Mike was my pacer. And this is the moment I said, I don't remember. Apparently, I looked at him, and I said, I'm going to do the tour divide with you. And he said, all right, just go ahead and finish this race. You know, (laughs) like you're pretty tired. And then at the end of the race, I said, I said, yeah, like, did you ask me to do the Tour Divide? And he starts laughing, and he goes, what? And I go, yeah, yeah, you asked me to do the Tour Divide. And he said, no, you turned to me and said you were going to do it. And I said, okay, well, let's do it. And that's where bikepacking began for me. Uh, When we were training for the Tour Divide, uh, he said, Billy Rice released this new route It's never been ridden before. And I go, well, what is it? And he goes, it's a 5,000 mile route and it goes across the U S it's called the American trail race. And my eyes lit up. <laughs> I, ooh. Like I like your personality. If you're going to do 2,500, why not do 5,000? Yeah, double the pleasure. Yeah, double and, the fun. And I'll tell you what, what I really love about it. And the fact that we took that leap of faith is there's nothing as special as the inaugural year where you walk Was that 16, uh, that was 17, 2017. seventeen. Seventeen, yeah, yeah. And you don't know what's going to happen. Right. I mean, we had so many reroutes and floods and it was so much fun. Like it was crazy. It was crazy, incredible. And I had, I'd never hoped in my wildest dreams I would have done as well as I did, but somehow I I did pretty good, you know, and I just pedaled every day. Second. And there's a, yeah, yeah, there's a, Second out of nine finishers. (laughs) Uh, But you look at Dylan. Second out of
0: everybody that did a race, too. Everybody on their couch watching the dot, man. You can't forget that.
1: Yeah. And and a lot of it was weird. Um, It was a weird feeling when I was on the route and a truck would pull up beside me. And they were like, are you Indiana? And I'm like, yeah, why? And they're like, hey, I'm this dude. I'm from Arkansas. I'm I'm dot watching. And I'm like, what? Like people were inspired. that was a crazy feeling i never experienced. Yeah. Before. You hadn't
0: been on the other side I'm guessing. No, I didn't even know what yeah. dot watching
1: was right. like, I knew we were going to be on track leaders, but I didn't know what that was. And people come out of the woodwork and they come say hi and they support you. And it's a really an amazing feeling. And you look at Dylan, uh, Taylor who won that race, just an amazing guy, super nice guy. Uh, he has a lot of experience, you know, and it was really funny being in second place and I really enjoyed it because I heard so many stories about him in first place. So the last half of the race is, um, really challenging because you start to get to the really, really remote wild West and there's in the entire race, there's over 20 points where you're over 100 miles between resupply points and more than half of those are in the last third of the race. So they're small towns, you know, maybe. 20 people in these towns or whatever hit or miss if yeah things are going to be open and so you're trying to plan it so you get there when you're open and then when they see you these people there's a good chance they've never seen a bike packer in their life so i get into these stores and they start i start talking to them and they go oh you're doing that race with dylan and i go yeah yeah like and they go is he okay (laughs) and i'm like what do you mean is he okay and they go well He looks really bad off. And I go, yeah, he really wants to win, and he's like a professional rider, and he's been sleeping in ditches. I think Dylan got one hotel room the entire race. I I ended up staying in three, so I had a shower every 1,500 miles. He had a shower every 2,500 miles. But, yeah, the thing was is they were like, you look like you had a long weekend. He looked like he got drugged behind a truck. Wow. Yeah, and that's how hard – You like push yourself, you know, and Dylan and his wife were waiting for me at the end when I finished and he had he had like showered and shaved and everything. And I told him these stories and he's like, no, like I was I was really nice and sociable. (laughs) I don't I don't know if you were like I know you as a person and I know that's how you are. And I can't imagine he was. Ever mean or, or anything to no, anybody? Tired, but just completely ragged. out of it. Yeah. yeah, like just covered in dirt from head to toes. They're like, so, who's this homeless person coming through town? Yeah, for me, like that's my romantic relationship or the romantic draw I have with bikepacking is when I saw Mike's first setup and he just, I was like, what's bikepacking? And he goes, you're just out there, it's self supported. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you got to supply all your stuff your bike brakes you're fixing it mm-hmm. like that's when i think bike packing that's what i think of so the racing element of it is cool but it's it's a lot mentally and physically it costs a lot of money you need a lot of resources um, but cool. yeah it's it's i th- i felt like the i don't know sorry go ahead
0: well I was just so i looked at that race the 2017 race where you came in second yeah From what I could tell, it looked like there was an hour and a half that separated the top three from the finish line, is that true? No,
1: no, it was um, uh, I think sixteen hours between Dylan and I. Oh wow! And eighteen hours between myself and Mike. I and need then to learn it,
0: how to use track leaders better. And, I, and, I went back and you know how you can like rewatch yeah, the race. Yeah. And for some reason, I thought it was like uh, an hour and a half between the top three, and I was like, "That's you insane. were looking at the
1: times, the times, and because it's days, you're looking at days and not hours. So oh. it was thirty. 35 days, not 35 hours. And like, so it'd be like 35, say he finished in 35 days, 12 hours. I finished in 36 days and 14 hours. It looks like it's just an hour time okay. difference, but it's a day. Yeah. yeah my buddy my Jay, my buddy Jay has made that mistake before. Okay. He's like, you will finish an hour after the winner," And I'm like, no, it was a day <laughs>
0: and eight hours. <laughs> so the third place finisher, how far was the gap between y'all two? 18 hours. 18. Yeah, we were, so we it were wasn't all basically really...
1: split up almost by a day, about 100 miles. So you weren't really feeling
0: the pressure too much. You were just kind of keeping you Towards keeping the end, pace. it's
1: it's really hard with the resupply points. To, if you're going to try and make up some time, you got to have some phenomenal planning and a lot of capacity on your bike probably to carry yeah. some extra water, which is a trick I have up my sleeve for this year. Uh-oh. Yeah, I'm going totally unconventional. I'm rocking panniers. Oh, wow. yeah. You'll be the only one.
0: Well, there's nothing. Probably. Yeah. yeah.
1: I've got like the Arco dry light panniers. I started doing the math. like So I did it at the ATR the first year and I didn't have a sleeping bag. And that was the biggest mistake I've ever made in my entire life. I froze my butt off. Yeah. I was so cold the entire race. And it limited how much I could ride at night. And it limited to what I had to do in the morning. I had to camp five to 10 miles outside of town and wake up take what i had done is i went to walmart and bought a a heat shield, like heat blanket a little bit thicker it was actually like a heat tarp an emergency tarp it's got the silver lining in it and i all i had for warmth were my rain clothes so i would wrap myself up like a burrito and it keeps you warm but you start sweating bullets immediately so when i woke up in the morning i had to wait for the sun to come up so i couldn't ride late into the night i had to wake up at six and then I had to get up and take all of my clothes off and hang them on the sagebrush. It only takes about five minutes to dry out. So there I'd be like walking around naked, brushing my teeth and like eating cliff bars. <laughs> that's why I camped outside of towns, you know. But I yeah. had to do it because I couldn't put all my crap away wet. Yeah. But everything smelled so bad. It was terrible. <laughs> You're uh. So I have a sleeping bag this year. That's awesome. <laughs> the first thing I invested in was like a C to Summit sleeping idea. bag. Yeah. I'm not going to make that, that mistake That's again. not a
0: fear. That's just like... I don't even know. That's just common sense. You need a sleeping bag. But awesome. I, I did it. I didn't give up. I know. You know, and I could have. People were like, "Why don't you
1: have it's one?" Ma- people said, "Why don't you have one mailed to you?" Well, obviously, you can't have one mailed to you. That's against the rules. And they said, "Why don't you buy one?" Why don't you? And I said, "I own two sleeping bags at home. I'm not spending money <laughs> on a sh- crappy sleeping bag that weighs four pounds. Like, I just won't do it. You know." Yeah. And that's like, I've tried to be a not materialistic person. Me as a person. Right. I own one bike. Yeah. So I like, I like that. I've gotten down to two. I have,
0: uh, I don't, I don't, you don't do mountain biking, mountain biking, single track much or
1: not. Cause well, I don't live in Colorado anymore. Yeah. So I don't feel the need to have one. Yeah. 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 I would I, like to, I've if gone I down lived to... somewhere, I'd probably own maybe another bike. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've, I, so I am my Salsa Fargo and that's a great yeah buddy <clears throat> high fives high fives that that's a great everything bike i can commute on it i can gravel grind on it i can even take it on single track like it i have two different wheel sets for it absolutely and then i have my uh full suspension mountain bike and it's a 29 or 27 plus but i can also do like a 29er by 2.4 inch tire so mm, sweet. i effectively have four bikes and two yeah and i am about that too just minimalizing every you know Not to get too preachy, but like we were talking about, like environmental aspect, but uh, uh, environmental costs. Every time you buy something new, someone had to manufacture it, somebody had to ship it. There was an environmental impact of of that purchase, you know. And so, I don't know. I I, I'm big. Have you read
1: "Let My People Go Surfing"? No. By Yvonne Chenard.
0: Oh, I've heard of Yvonne Chenard. I'll
1: mail mail you a copy. Oh. I think it'll it'll blow your mind. Yeah. This is take a company like Patagonia and what their that's why i know that name what their values are yeah and for him to say as good as we're doing it's not enough scares the crap out of me because they are doing so good they are in, doing in good. terms of a company's standpoint that right. has a huge
0: impact it's scary Mm-hmm. So let's go and talk about the 500 real quick, which is yeah, why you're here. Yeah, gravel grand 500. Yeah, buddy. So Great last race. year you came. What what's the elevation, in Illinois? What what elevation? We're at sea level. Oh, you are okay. So there's no <laughs> advantage. There. I
1: can do a hundred mile route on the on the trail or bike path on the Mississippi River, and it's 600 feet elevation change.
0: Yeah, in hundred okay. in 100 So miles. basically, well, there's actually more on the 500. I was just yeah. curious how. It was your first race in Texas, mm-hmm. first time in Texas?
1: No, uh, I had been to Texline during the ATR, which I don't recommend anybody ever go to. We had just gotten out of the Oklahoma panhandle, and I think Billy put it there just to be like, hi, y'all got to go through Texas. Yeah, And as soon as we got to Texas, it was fresh laid black blacktop and my tires were sticking and it was 110 degrees. And I was like, I hate you, Texas. <laughs> and then there was nothing in Texline. line. Really. I mean, there's a, a few shops and stuff, but you literally cut into like a five mile corner of Texas. So yeah. that would, that had been my Texas Got experience. To. Yeah. So
0: when you, it was a brief experience that you had in Texas, but yeah. this was, you know, you were, how long did it take you to finish? It was two days
1: for the gravel grand, Yeah. The Grand Gravel uh, 500. 42 and a half hours, and he bases the record on time, yeah, because the route changes direction and, and length, and or I'm sorry, bases it on speed. And my speed was uh, 11 and a half miles an hour.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's impressive.
1: I, I thought I, I thought I could, I could do it better. Really? Yeah, yeah. I had some issues and, and some gear issues, and I was sick. But yeah, I, it can be done faster on a good year. Yeah. Take
0: us through last year. How was it different than what you were expecting, or how did how did I, it play out for you? Yeah, I
1: I really underestimated it. Because I had been on my road bike training for the Trans Am. So I was really focused on my cadence. I was in the gym a lot. I was really sticking to my training program last year, you know, wanting to go out and win the Trans Am. So I, fl- I looked at this race and I said 500 miles, like, no, oh, that's nothing. And um, I got my butt kicked. I, I had bought these new shoes that were a half size smaller than what I normally wear because I thought the ones that I owned were too big and I didn't like how roomy they were and my feet swelled up and they were numb by the time I got to the first checkpoint. And I was also having stomach issues. Uh, and so I was throwing up and also having, um, diarrhea issues as well the entire race. And, um, it kicked the crap out of me and yeah. then you had a and carry I, bl- I blew up my Achilles and my knee and I, I couldn't train
0: for a month after the gravel ran. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You, and then you had a carry chasing you. Yeah. So
1: (laughs) I mean that, I mean, Carrie's awesome. We're actually staying at her house, you know, after the race, she's like, "If you ever come back down, stay with me and my husband? You know, she's one of the many amazing faces that you meet at bikepacking races. Like I love the people that do these races
0: anyways. Yeah. She's really impressive. She was,
1: she was kicking butt, you know, and I remember I was, I was sick at the first resupply point and I made it to Trinity and, um, I got out of Trinity and I was wearing my pink tutu for my friend Amanda <laughs> and I saw Billy and Billy caught up to me and we got out of town. And we started climbing this hill and you know, I didn't want to tell him I was feeling bad because I knew he was sick and dealing with a respiratory yeah. thing. So I didn't, I, you know, I didn't want to be like, Oh, look at me. I don't feel good. And he's, he's like, you doing okay. And I'm like, no, I'm having some issues and, and he looks down at his power meter and he goes, you're only putting out 80 Watts, bro. And I was like, so (laughs) pissed at him at that point in time. But anyways, I ended up riding with him for like 10 miles and Billy totally lifted my spirits. He's such a fun and positive person, but he told me, uh, Carrie's Carrie's been training and she's going to, she looks strong. And I said, that's cool. We were talking about Bo who went out fast and you know Bo went out too fast and he's coming back this year and he's going to do really well like he he might win it i definitely have confidence that he could win this race anyway so i you know i tried my goal was under 40 hours and to not sleep and i failed at both of those <laughs> goals uh four in the morning i was so tired and i kept dozing off and i saw this bridge and after all that rain i figured bridge it's dry. It's the only dry place I'm going to be able to sleep. I had... So is
0: this 23 hours in at 4 a.m.? We start at 5. Yeah, or... it would have been. Yeah.
1: No. Yep. Yeah. Almost. So I almost made it almost 24 hours. And so I you know, put my helmet, which has reflective stickers, on one side of the bridge and then my bike on the other side. And I didn't have, you know, Billy's like, don't bring any sleeping gear if you don't intend on sleeping. <laughs> so here I am in my rain yeah. gear again. Total flashbacks to the ATR. Like, right. I'm going to freeze. This sucks. Whatever. I'll make it through it. I set my alarm for 30 minutes and after 20 minutes I heard a pack of coyotes and it bolted right up. And I was like, well, I'm not going back to sleep. I went (laughs) off to the woods to go to the bathroom, got back on my bike, probably 20 miles to get outside of the Davy Crockett forest. The sun was starting to come up, getting a little bit of energy. I got out and I went to check my phone and I thought, man, I did really good that night. Like that's a good push, I think I'm probably going to be like 30 miles ahead of everybody. And I look on track leaders and then there's Carrie 12 miles behind me. Mm -hmm. And I just, I was like, son of a, all I wanted to do (laughs) was go to a gas station and like cry about how hard this was to myself and then get back on my bike and finish it. I just wanted to relax for a little bit basically. And she was pushing and I, you know, I have that feeling like if somebody else is out there struggling, it motivates me to be out there struggling. Mm -hmm. It's kind of that camaraderie you have, you know, like if you go through a low point during, during a race, you can kind of look and see like hey man these guys are doing it everybody's going through something at some point in time so i looked i saw she was still crushing it i said yeah let's do this let's let's try and crush it and i didn't finish you know she she kept the same pace i pretty much did at the end yeah, which she, was fast you were her little bunny yeah yeah she and was gonna catch you man she almost did i only you know <laughs> it was maybe a couple hours so maybe 15 miles or 20 miles so separated us yeah
0: yeah. It was fun. I'm, uh, Carrie and I are friends. She's mm-hmm. local. I'm local. And so I've known her from like mountain bike days, just doing single track. And then she got into racing and then, you know, bike packing and, uh, yeah. and she, n- no joke, she's serious about it and she's good and it's really impressive. So mm-hmm. I've had a chance to talk to her about her chasing you and, you know, trying to chase you down. And, uh, it, it turned out to be a really good race. I think for both of y'all, I think, yeah, you both, like, how
1: cool is that? That we just inspired each other. To that's keep what going. it was. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, you definitely brought out the best in each other Yeah, and it, it turned out better for both of y'all. I think I need to get her on here too and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and talk to her as well.
1: Yeah. I think her and I are kind of going through a little bit of the same thing in terms of what we're, where our goals are for the rest of our lives. You know, I kind of talked to you before. It's like I'm walking away from racing after the American trail race. You know, I think, and, and I love racing. I love the racing aspect of it, but I also love traveling and mm-hmm. I've sacrificed traveling for the last two, it'll be three years now. And when I say traveling, I mean, going international yeah, and seeing different parts of this world. And the other thing I want to do is I want to do volunteer work. So I made it my goal this year was I was going to do the ATR and spend four weeks in Africa doing volunteer work. You know, I don't want my life as a person to just be like known as "Hey, he was a good bikepacking racer. Mm-hmm. I feel like if I put the time and effort and resources that I've put into bikepacking, and if you look what I've done in three years, you know, with no history, if I put that into volunteer work, I could make a huge impact. In this yeah. world and I think that's great and I can always come back to racing
0: it's not going anywhere no
1: and it's it's addictive yeah you know it's hard like I wanted to walk away after the trans am and then I texted Billy hey are you doing the American Trail Race and he said yeah but I need some help like I need someone to help promote it so here I am like helping promote <laughs> it and I'm like I mean it's an amazing race the American Trail Race changed my life yeah you know it's awesome so Hopefully, I can walk away after the American Char Race this year. But one of the ideas... Well, it's
0: all, you're choosing between two goods. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're. Tra- yeah. I mean, riding your bike. I mean, it's not just riding your bike. I mean, you're growing a lot as a person, and you're getting a lot sure, out of those sure. experiences. And you are traveling. It's, you're it's in helped Texas. helped me with
1: the loss of my brother yeah. immensely. It's been so therapeutic for me. Yeah. And you have so much time out there to just think about life and think about the good times I have with my brother and come to terms with what happened. You know, it's, yeah. it's been amazing for me.
0: Well man, thank you. Uh yeah. thanks for sharing your story, man. Thanks for coming over here and yeah. giving us some insight into racing and just your life and everything. Um and good luck in the future, man. You got thanks. I mean, tomorrow you're rolling out like tomorrow at five AM. Yeah, we are under a helicopter uh, <laughs> escort and and you get to pick the music. What did you pick?
1: He hasn't asked me about that. What? So I don't I mean, I always thought I would play something like Eye of the Tiger. Yeah. Um or maybe some like Mozart. My one buddy told me I should pick like a super heady twenty five minute grateful dead jam. There you go. Oh, that would be kinda
0: hilarious. I you need to put in a request to Billy as the winner of last year's yeah. Grand Gravel. It's my understanding that you get to pick the music. So. Yeah.
1: And I told Carrie too that she should be able to pick a
0: song too. Yeah. There's yeah. a twenty mile escort, so you plenty put of in time. time. Yeah. Thank you if, for having me. Yeah, dude, yeah, this is thank awesome, you for the man. I wish I wish I could talk longer, but I gotta go pick up my daughter from school. That's you cool. know, we yeah, I got, life. got but, priorities. Hey, uh, how can people like follow you if they wanna
1: keep up with what you're doing? So I am we didn't get to talk about it, but I have a huge concern with social media. <laughs> I'm off of Instagram, so um, you have to catch me in real life. There you go, real yeah. life, real life indie. Yeah. So I'll see you awesome, out on the dude. road. Come join the American Trail Race. You'll see me. Later. Yeah. All right. <laughs>
0: Thanks, dude. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye.
1: <laughs>
0: bye. 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 All right. Thank you all so much for tuning in. But before you go anywhere, I've got some special bonus content. Um, we recorded this episode on Wednesday the day before the Grand Gravel 500, and uh, I watched the dots, of course, uh, over Friday and Saturday, and it was about 11.30, 12 o'clock at night, and I saw Indiana was getting really close, so I went and posted up next to the road about a mile from the finish line. I just wanted to snap a couple pictures, but he wound up stopping and talking to me for a while, so I, uh, I, I turned on my recorder and got an audio clip, and I wanted to share that with you. Um, he did wind up winning it this year and, uh, anyway, so this is Indiana Schultz at about 1230 AM after riding his bike for, I don't know, 45, 46 hours and only having about 20 minutes of sleep. Um, so we're really on the side of the road and there's cars going by and the audio quality isn't great, but I couldn't uh, miss the opportunity to share this with y'all. And, uh, before I get to that, um, thank you everybody for the support so far if you like the show, please do me a huge favor and um, subscribe wherever you listen to it and leave a review. That way, you can let your friends know and other people know about this kind of content. And if you really want to help support the show, please head over to uh, Patreon and you can find me over there. Um, I'm Bikes or Death. And all the proceeds I make from that really just go to support the show and, and keep it going. If you want to keep up with what i'm doing uh, you can follow me on instagram at bikes or death so all right here's indiana
2: Woo! is that indiana
0: schultz how you feeling yeah, i'm tired yeah you're almost done
3: hi how are you thanks for checking in on me man yeah i don't know It. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I know You're the deal. You're almost
0: done. I was just coming to take some video with
2: you, and I'm gonna go. It's been unreal. I can't believe it, man.
3: Uh, two things that in uh, Trinity. I finally got my baby powder, which I left at home, and I was too stubborn to buy, So I was like, "It's only two days," but <laughs> that makes chamois amazing. And I had an epiphany where I've been riding my. Japanther shoes which are a mm. centimeter taller than my mm. summer shoes because it's been twenty degrees. Mm. So my seats
2: a, a centimeter low. higher.
3: So Moved my knees eye. and my Achilles have hurt since like mile thirty. Yikes. It just blew me up. What about and the like You gotta I lowered the seat and uh I was I was like, all right, let's groove. I finally got some food in me. That was the hardest one hundred mile stretch ever. The first hundred? No. Uh from Palestine to trinity oh yeah that's 250 tough. to 355 yeah. yeah i uh i went to whataburger and i totally miscalculated the calories and like packed a bunch of those in my bag and i was out of food with like 25 miles left wow billy and uh brian wow. came to visit me and like i had slept for a few minutes by a church i had every single piece of gear on that i owned and i was freezing yeah. Ugh. did you wreck uh no i uh so a few weeks ago i fell on the ice four weeks ago yeah my right hand and since i wait tables it's taken forever to heal I didn't right. even think about it with the race and uh i was hitting some chop you know how the texas roads are and i was like oh that's a little tenderoni i better be careful and then at like i forget it was like mile 180 or something i Jumped off a of middle ridge because it got all soft into the packed part. Yeah. And it went, bam. And it was just so sensitive since then. So, like, anytime I hit the paved road, I was able to, like, it would kind of heal up a little bit. But then I get back to that chop. It's but I was able animal. to, like, switch my hand position from here, which was a lot better than being up here because of the angle. And uh, up here, I was able to hold with my left hand and just kind of brace with this and steer yeah those but, uh, drum, or the arrow bars lesson learned i mean it
2: hurt <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it's, it's always gonna, gonna
3: hurt right i got some advil in me and stuff and uh
0: dude you're an animal you've stopped for two mi- two hours and 16 minutes except for to talk to me right now but you got a nice 20 20 mile uh yeah. gap on
3: second I mean, place i mean so. i can't believe i did that stupid thing it's like the trans am where I, my flight was delayed and i had my bike mailed to uh sugar Wheelworks works in portland and instead of being there at 3 30 and they close at seven i got there at 6 15 yeah. and uh me and jude the owner were sizing my chain and i was like oh i got it and i was doing the shimano way where you add two links and i was like yeah you just take two links off so immediately my chain was four links short and i couldn't get into my largest chain ring for like the first four days and yeah. then it never worked right after that yeah, like nice. i don't know if it screwed up my derailleur for my internal cable it's just like I need to have somebody set up my bike before I go on rides. <laughs> like you're just making things so hard on myself. Yeah, but um, oh, un- totally unreal, man. That, that kid, that kid is fast. That's his first I race. I know. His first race, he passed us. Y'all me, like having... me and Mike and Tom, and he goes, he goes, oh, I'm just warming up the legs, and then like. He, he was, like, gone. 10 miles ahead of us, and I was, like, warming up the legs of my ass. But he was, like, yeah, my name's Chip, like the potato. <laughs> like and, uh, potato. he's, like, I was, like, cool, man. Like, what? Like, what's your experience? He's, like, this is my first race. And I go, well, I'll tell you what my call told Billy. And it's, like, wherever you are in the race, just be happy, man. Yeah. And you'll be good out there. Wow. And man. then I didn't know if he was done in Palestine, right? Like, I was, he, 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 like, got 15 miles ahead of me, and I was, like, I was hurting bad. I was going to call it in Palestine. Yeah, and then cool. I saw he was stopped. And I was like, "Ooh, maybe I'll see how far I can get." Like, and I didn't want to bail in Palestine because that's the furthest point away from here. Uh-huh. So I was like, "Well, that's a, that's not a good move." So let's <laughs> see how far my my handle lasts or my wrist. And then all of a sudden, I look on track leaders when I had that 100 mile stretch, and I was I was I think that took me 15 hours to do 100 miles, wow. whereas that last one I cranked out in like seven hours. Because of the roads, or well, just because you were roads worn and, out, and I got uh, um baby powder and my seat was right. Yeah. So as soon as I put my seat down, my Achilles and my knees were fine. Right on. And I was like,
0: oh, oh and I that, sat there and I ate is. for 30 minutes. I saw you stopped at Water Yeah. Burger. You and Chip both did, but the yeah. difference is Chip stopped at Hampton Inn and slept for six hours. Yeah. So that was the big difference man. He slept for well, six I hours. Mean, and you I slept for two I don't think
3: it was a bad move. No, it's not. You saw how fast he was today. Listen, it's never a bad move. If you need to sleep you should I sleep. I looked and I was like holy dude Chip's back. And he was like, all of a sudden, he was in second again, and I'm like, he's gonna catch me. Like I yeah. was, I was getting real drifty because I had slept for twenty minutes.
0: Okay. And then I just saw I, two hours. Yeah, I slept time. for
3: twenty minutes. Yeah. At a church on the cement. You you slept at the same place I stopped.
0: Except for last year, it was reversed, so that was mile 190.
3: All those all those churches are set up the same, which is hilarious. Yeah, They have that little ramp and Uh then the cement area. They're all the same. But it's good because no one's going to bother you. Yeah, Yeah, no one's going to bother you. But I never bring a sleep gear because Billy convinced me last year. He's like, (laughs) if you bring sleep gear, you're going to use it. Well, I could have used it this year. It was a little cold this year. It was so cold. And and I just forgot how much energy... It takes for your body to stay warm right, and I didn't right, pack enough food. Right, right. You know, and I'm at the point where like I've done so many miles in bike packing races, right? Just in four races I've done 10,400 miles. I'm so tired of eating food on my bike. <laughs> like I can't wait to retire. One more race. One more race. Hey All man, right, go brother. get your
0: time. Hey, thank I'll you see sir. you at the finish, man. Right, You're buddy. doing awesome. Appreciate it. He's got his tutu on. It got Woo! It has special power. Yeah, it does, apparently. That guy's a fucking badass. Thanks again, until next time, go ride your damn bike.